this week, I want to talk a little bit about praying continually. Praying continually. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As we're talking about prayer this morning, uh, sometimes, depending on your background, depending on where you've come from or how you've been taught to view prayer, sometimes prayer feels more like a hurdle to jump, a box to check, a set of rules to fulfill. And I want us to just get rid of that uh, presupposition right now. That is not what prayer is intended to be. That's not what Jesus taught. And we'll get into what Jesus taught in just a second. Prayer is not a box to check off. Prayer is not a wish list for God. Prayer is, prayer is not something that you do to make up for all the terrible stuff you did during the week, uh, though it's a part of that. Um, prayer prayer isn't, you know, isn't any of those like administrative things that we think we need to do to be in right standing with the Lord. Prayer is about relationship. Prayer is communication. Prayer is conversation. Prayer is actually a gift that God gives to us. It's our way of staying in connection with him and deepening our relationship with him. Um, when, it comes to, when it comes to our, if we were thinking about having a relationship status, like if you could friend God on Facebook, right? What you don't want is for your relationship status to be, it's complicated. You don't want that. And that brings us to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now that, that he was teaching them to pray there, would have been, I think, a sharp contrast from what he might have seen in the temple from some religious leaders of the day, right? There are some patterns and habits and things that we fall into sometimes in our prayer that cause us to make it a lot more complicated than God really intended it to be. God intended it to be conversational and relational and a way for us to, to share with him and for us to listen and have him share with us, right? And, and yet, sometimes when we pray, have, do you have like your own personal, like, especially if somebody asks you to pray out loud, do you have this prayer persona that you, that you develop? Like you start using words that you don't normally use and sometimes they're like, old, you know, they're like, uh, uh, they're like King James version and they end with F, you know, and like you, you never in your life have you, have you said in conversation, he scourgeth every son he receiveth. But as soon as somebody asks you to pray out loud, you like go to your prayer persona, your voice drops on, oh, heavenly father, you know, and, and God, I feel like is looking at us and like, no, oh, come on, relax. It's going to be, just talk to me. It's going to be all right. Jesus was trying to do this for his disciples in, in this passage right here. He was trying to remove some religious overtones and make prayer more accessible so that it could become a natural part of life. And we're in the last week now of our 40 days of prayer and consecration um, leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And I don't, 
I don't know how the experience has been for everyone, but I know like I've been almost every day on the Zoom prayer meeting in the mornings. Uh, we've, been, we've been asking folks to, you know, to take a, take a moment, like three times a day in the morning, take a few minutes, just focus on God. Noontime, take just a few minutes, just reconnect. In the evening before you go to bed, take a few minutes, just reconnect with the Lord. Look, look up to connect with Him, look out to make sure that you're embracing other people, and look in to deal with the stuff that's just in here, right? And and in doing it in these small ways, the, the hope is and the goal is that it becomes something that's infused into your regular life. And it's not just something that gets added on. Because if, if I ask you, you know what you need to do? You need to pray for 45 minutes every day. Add that on to your life. Then when, you, might, you might do it. You might say, oh, 45 minutes. I got that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to determine to do that. And you have to really determine to do that. You have to rearrange your schedule. You have to figure out how you're going to fit that in. Prayer isn't something that we need to figure out how to fit in. And if we consider it an add-on to the rest of our life, then as soon as life gets busy, the things that we added on are the things that we subtract first, right? Because we don't consider it essential. We consider it something that we do on top of everything else. And that's why we're trying to take prayer from being here to being here, taking it from the head putting it in the heart. Prayer is our direct means of communication and relationship with Jesus. So we need to make it an integral part of our lives. And, and ideally, it should be our first response and not our last resort. And I, I've been guilty of making it my last resort and not the first response. Um, in James 5.13, this is the message version. James says, are you hurting? Pray. Very simple. Are you hurting? Pray. Not are you hurting? Whine about it for four hours. Then go complain to some people. Then Google your symptoms. And then, you know, are you hurting? Pray. Let that be your first response. Philippians 4.6 says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let your petitions and your praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And isn't that exactly what Jennifer was encouraging us to do yeah. right at the start? Yes. Things go wrong. Things go uh, awry. Situations get bad. Um, you know, we, we, we live in a world where a lot of stuff happens to us and a lot of unfortunate stuff happens in us sometimes. And we can focus on all of that or we can turn it to him. We can praise. We can pray. We can, instead of enthroning the problem we can begin to enthrone the Lord. And when we do that, everything else lines up in proper order. Let your petitions and your praises shape your worries into prayers. So I'm gonna share this morning three keys to making prayer sustainable. I mean, we, we can do a really good job at 21 days, 40 days. Uh, I think we're pretty good in the short term. Like <laughs> Lord of the Rings, like Gimli, I'm very dangerous over short distances. You know, I feel that way. In prayer, I'm, I'm, I'm very dangerous over short distances, but it's the long haul that gets us caught up. And so we need ways, simple ways, to make prayer sustainable. Um, Pete Gregg, in his book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with all of us anyway. I figure it could help. <laughs> How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And he says, keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. So I'm going to rephrase it this way. Pray simply. 
pray authentically and pray consistently. So let's look at the first one, praying simply. So we just looked in the, in the book of Luke about Jesus teaching on the Lord's Prayer, which actually should probably be called the Disciples' Prayer, right? But here in, uh, here in Matthew's account, we get a little bit more from Jesus, and he's actually warning us against making our prayer too complicated. Matthew 6, 5 through 13, he says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is trying to invite them and invite us into a life of prayer that is based on simplicity. Simplicity. You don't have to recite specific words because God already knows your need. You don't have to say something in a specific way because I, I guarantee God can handle it, whatever you have to say, whatever you have to share with him. You don't have to be in a specific place or assume a specific posture or, uh, or, or pray at a specific time of day because the Spirit of the Lord is there with you at all times, right? Because of Jesus, God's presence is with us and it's freely available to all of us at any time. We don't have to jump through hoops to make God hear us better. We don't have to follow any specific rules or regulations. He wants us to keep it simple. One key way to keep praying continually is to pray simply. Man. The next thing is pray authentically. Pray authentically. God created you uniquely. There are, there are few conversations that Adrian and I have where that scripture doesn't come up with, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. My prayer is that we would all begin to see each other like that. Man, every, every person that I look at in this particular building right here, and then when we get outside, all fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about this. God has created billions of people throughout history. There are, what, 7 billion of us on the planet right now? 8 billion? When did we do that? Man, wow. Uh, so 8 billion people. And then think about all the people that came before the current 8 billion that aren't here. God created all of them. And not one of them that has ever been or ever will be is exactly like you. Billions upon billions upon billions of people created, and not one of them is like you. He created you uniquely. David said it this way in Psalm 139. He said, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and that I know full well. Uh, God told Jeremiah that he knew him before he formed him in his mother's womb. Isaiah wrote, 
that God is the potter, we're the clay, we are uniquely crafted by his hand. And this uh, actually leads me to a really great conclusion from the poet uh, and playwright uh, Oscar Wilde. He said, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. (laughs) Be yourself. And I feel that as we're talking about prayer and praying authentically, that's a huge, that's a huge uh, conclusion for us to come to. Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. So there's two aspects to being authentic in our prayer lives. The first one we already touched on in Matthew 6. Um, Here's the message version of Matthew 6. I'll read it quickly. When you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you'll begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. I know, right? They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. God created you uniquely. He made you. He knows you. He loves you. And so when we speak with him, be you. Be you. Don't adopt some formula, some strategy. Don't try to sound like someone else. Even if you don't know the right words to say, your father knows everything you need even before you say it. So go ahead and say the wrong words. God can take it. Say whatever's coming to your mind. Say whatever's coming to your heart. But, but say something to him. When we speak with him, we don't need a prayer persona. So that's a first part of authenticity. But the second part of being authentic, we see in Psalm 51, 6. David wrote, you deserve honesty from the heart. Yes, utter sincerity and truthfulness. Oh, give me this wisdom. Now, this is important to put this psalm in context. This psalm comes, he writes this after, uh, after Nathan, the prophet, has called him out for his affair with Bathsheba and for the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And David was trying to keep it under wraps. David was trying to protect his image. David was, was thinking, well, if I, if I cover this up, if I hide it from people and from God, then my status can be protected, my image can be protected. But God saw, God knew. God knew that he was hiding. And so he sent Nathan to call him out. And, and so in reality, he thought, well, if, if I just hide certain things, then I'm protected. If I hide certain things, then, then it's almost like they didn't happen. God knows He knows the things that we're trying really hard not to pray about. Maybe because we don't want the answer, or maybe because it hurts too much to bring it up. But he knows all of those things. And what he's saying is, just just talk to me about it. Just tell me about it. Tell me what's on your mind. Tell me what's in your heart. Don't try and hide stuff from me. I can see it anyway. And so in David's life, his hiding things, his keeping things from God actually cost him a little bit in his relationship, like it does with any of our other relationships. You have a close friend, a spouse, a a family member who you hide things from, 
You can't, you can't be close if you can't be real because they don't know you if you're hiding things. They know the persona that you're presenting them with. So we want God to know us. God, I want, you to, I want to know you. I want you to know me. And we can have honest, uncensored conversations with God. And it actually brings us closer to him. When we're trying to hide stuff, it, it makes us fall away. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. We want to hide things from God because we're ashamed of something. And God's like, where are you? Where are you? I'm looking for you. Um, and we, we see some really great precedent established for being honest, actually. Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah ranted at God. He said, Lord, you've deceived me, and I was deceived. You've overcome me, and you prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long, and everyone mocks me. Do y'all pray to God that way? <laughs> God, you messed up. You know, and Jeremiah is just like, I, I'm mad about this. I don't know why you did this. I'm going to still be angry for a little bit, but I need to let you know. You know, you have people who in your life who are like, okay, I don't want to say, but I'm just saying. That's Jeremiah right now. God, I don't want to say. I'm just saying, though, you could have done this better. Moses, Moses, our father of the faith, whined God about the very people God called him to lead, right? Which means that he was a pastor. I'm just kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. So Moses, in Numbers 11, 11, that's going to be the one thing someone remembers from today's message, by the way. There's some other good stuff in here. Numbers 11, 11. <laughs> can you imagine? Don't picture me saying this, but can you imagine Moses like, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? Why dump the responsibility of this people on me? And talk about getting real. With God, talking about authentically not hiding stuff, but God, you call me to lead these people. What were you thinking? Why? And then there's, there's David who takes it another step and really specifically straight out expresses in the psalm, yeah, I'm going to complain. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. Mark my words, he will hear my voice. So if we really want to learn to pray continually, I, I, there's going to be some times when you're feeling angry and you don't want the prayer to stop just because you're feeling angry or you're feeling frustrated or you're feeling confused. We can't just pray when it's good times. We can't just pray when it's like, Lord, everything's peachy and I love life and it's amazing. Um, I mean, that's good too, but we can't stop our prayer just because we're frustrated, right? That's actually the time when God wants us to just be honest, be real. Tell me what's really going on, right? So if we want to learn to pray continually, we have to keep it simple. We have to keep it authentic. And the very last thing, pray consistently. We need to be consistent because, number one, our consistent prayers make a difference. Luke 18 says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and they should not give up. And the parable he told them was the parable of the persistent widow who kept approaching the king again and again and again, and again, and kept feeling like she was getting shut down, and shut down, and shut down, and eventually, the king, an earthly king, right, says, oh my gosh, she is driving me nuts, okay, yes, have whatever you want, yes, absolutely, but there's something to that, there's something about the 
the condition of our heart that wants to be persistent and keep, and keep presenting things before the Lord, right? He said, knock and the door will be open to you. But if knock and the door doesn't get open right away, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. Uh, Frank Laubach was a, a 20th century missionary and he compared praying to throwing rocks in a swamp. You take a rock, throw it in the swamp, it looks like it just goes down to the bottom and just, you don't see any change. But if you throw enough rocks into that swamp, then eventually you're going to throw one and you're going to see it rests on all the others and it stays above water, right? It stays above water. Solid ground begins to appear. It's not that that last rock is different. It's just that the last rock is resting on the foundation of all the other rocks that came before it. And that's part of our consistent continual prayers. Our consistency, our consistency is maybe the most important thing. Um, and lastly, about being consistent. Why is it important to be consistent with our prayer? Because we're phrasing, or we're framing prayer as a relationship. And every deep and meaningful relationship is built upon consistency and discipline. And for those of you who are falling in love right now, that's a bummer to hear. Because <laughs> I, there's, there's feelings, there's emotion, of course, involved in falling in love and, and being in love. But I got to say, staying in a relationship and staying in love is about discipline and consistency and habits. It's about looking ahead and doing the hard work. That's what it's about. Some people think that relationships are built on feelings alone. And feelings fade. And if all of the relationship was built on feelings, then as soon as the feelings fade, the relationship fades too. And it's just gone. We don't want for our relationship with the Lord to be like that. We don't want to just be, oh, it's feeling great right now, God. So I definitely want to dive into relationship. And then we don't do the work to communicate. We don't do the work to pray consistently. And so then when times get hard, we feel like he's left us because we don't feel the same way we used to feel. We can't grow in prayer. We can't grow in relationships. <laughs> this, this is a downer way to end a message. I'm sorry. But we can't grow in prayer and we can't grow in relationships without effort, a little discomfort, self-discipline, and self-denial. And Adrian, uh, could you and the team come up? And I, and I love the highly quotable pastor and author, Eugene Peterson, who says it this way. He says, a life of faith is not meant for tourists. It's meant for pilgrims. A life of faith is not meant for tourists. It's meant for pilgrims. Tourists come and they see the sights and they take their pictures and they buy the t-shirt and then they are gone. They enjoyed it while it was there and then they move on to the next thing. But a life of faith and a life of prayer is not for tourists. Life of faith is for pilgrims. Pilgrims are led to a foreign land so that they can establish and they can build and they can stay and they can remain and they can have legacy in that new place. That's what pilgrims do. And so in our prayers, pray simply, pray authentically, pray consistently. What we're doing there is we're treating our relationship with the Lord not as tourists who are just there to see the sights, but as pilgrims who are there to build and establish and live forever. That's, that's 
really important. So when prayer, I mentioned at the beginning, sometimes we look at prayer as a, a set of rules to keep. But if we'll stop looking at prayer as a set of rules and we'll start looking at it as relationship building, then it becomes so much easier to maintain and so much easier not only to incorporate into your life, but to build your life around. To build your life around. 